Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Inspiring you to bring God back into the conversation of the day. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Monday, May the 3rd, 2021, um, which means that tomorrow is May the 4th, which, Paul, what we what will we say on May the 4th? May the 4th be with you. I know, because Something we like won't that. be able to resist it. So hey, but free say tacos it. tomorrow at uh, Taco Bell. I don't know if you heard about that. Really? Yeah. They, they, I well, like me because, a good taco. Because uh-huh. the, the, well, why are you going to Taco Bell? Oops, did I say that loud? It's <laughs> <laughs> so bad. Okay, why are they doing free tacos? Well, if you're looking Tuesday, if you're to look at the moon tomorrow night, it's going to be oh shaped kind of like a taco, and so they're doing free tacos. Fun. There yeah. you go. There you go. I mean, you know, we are giving people really important information here this morning. <laughs> um, I did run across this headline, and I thought uh, for those people who are listening, who've thought, who've wondered to themselves, what um, what are college professors actually te- teaching out there? Um, there are uh, there are a hundred and fifty what are considered top-tier schools, 200 professors from those 150 schools are participating in something called One Day University. Um, And you can actually watch for the next 14 days for free. And so I just thought, you know what, if you've ever, like, wondered what are, um, first of all, what do, you know, whoever put this together, right, what do they consider the top 150 uh, schools in the country, top-tier schools, and who who are these professors who are teaching there and what are they teaching? If you've ever wanted to just sort of, you know, look in without having to drive around the country and uh, and visit, you know, and ask for the opportunity to sit in, you can actually sit in. It's called One Day and then the letter U, onedayu.com. And, um, you know, I'm not I'm not recommending any of the content. I'm simply rec- recommending the exercise of our getting a view into what's happening in these classrooms across the country, getting a view into what what is actually being taught in these classes, um, at least in some of them. And obviously it's curated and they knew that it was being recorded for mass distribution. So, you know, maybe they're going to be careful, but, you know, who knows? Maybe not. All right. um, And then this headline caught my attention this morning as well. This is from the AP News, um, and it is uh, just staggering on the face of it. Here is the headline. New stage in Rome's Colosseum uh, about uh, will restore majestic view. <clears throat> just think about that for just a moment. New stage in Rome's Colosseum will restore majestic view. Do you think that the headline writer knows what happened in the Colosseum? Do you know? Do you think that the headline writer um, at the Associated Press knows that some four hundred thousand people? lost their lives on the floor of the Colosseum, what they're describing here as a stage. So the reason that the Colosseum currently has no floor, or as it's described here, no stage, is because it was removed in order that they could excavate um, the tunnels beneath the floor where um, 
Well, I don't know. Christians were held until they were released uh, to the floor where they were eaten by lions, or it was where the the chariots and the um, uh, and the gladiators lined up and were held uh, until they were released onto the stage, the floor of the Colosseum, where uh, you know then for the blood sport entertainment of those watching, they killed each other. So the quote-unquote stage, as described here, was original to the first century uh, amphitheater known as the Colosseum, and it existed until the 1800s when it was removed for archaeological digs uh, so that they could see the subterranean levels of the Colosseum. And by 2023, the, the stage will be, um, will be back in place. But it's described here as a majestic view. I want you to just consider that for just a moment. And if you ever go to visit and you stand on the quote-unquote stage of the Colosseum and you look up at what is described here as a majestic view, I want you to consider um, that those who stood there often died there. And I want you to consider what we think is entertaining. For 400 years, people in the city of Rome thought it entertaining to gather together and watch blood sport in Rome's Colosseum. And over the course of time, they watched nearly a half a million people die there. How we remember history matters. How we describe history matters. How we, how we even describe the view from the floor of a reconstructed Colosseum matters. What we watch matters. Because people matter. Because they're made in the image of God. And therefore, life matters. And death matters. People do crave outlets and entertainment, so let's bring Sheridan Voicey on. Let's talk about maybe a better approach to adventure as image bearers of the living God. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Sheridan Voicy. You can find what we're talking about today at SheridanVoicy.com. I highly recommend it because there will probably be parts of this wonderful post that we will miss. Ready for a new adventure? Make sure it has these four things. Sheridan, welcome back. Good morning, Carmen. Okay, I totally now want to visit the park near your house. <laughs> yeah, it's so cool. You know, um, you know, all of us have had our different responses to the coronavirus and uh, everything that's happened as a result, the lockdowns and everything. Well, here in my local uh, part of Oxford, in my little suburb, um, people have gotten really creative. And so during the first, we've actually had three national lockdowns here. We're just kind of slowly emerging from our third. During the first lockdown, you find that kids were painting, hand painting rocks, and then they were kind of positioning them down in the local park and kind of making this big long snake that kind of went for yards yards and yards and yards all around the park. We had little fairy houses with tiny doors and windows and picket fences appear at the base of tree trunks. Uh, A community library was recently set up. But I found the epitome of the creativity that happened during lockdown only a couple of weeks ago when I went for a bit of a walk just a little bit further beyond the park, went into the bushland, and I found this entire hidden 
playground. Yeah, you should see this, Carmen. Uh, ladders made of sticks that kind of, you know, climb your way up to the tree and up to a little lookout so you can look out. There was um, zip wires. Is that what you call them in the U.S.? In Australia, we call them zip lines. Zip lines. Mm -hmm. lines. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was a zip line made between branches just with a a bit of pole and a bit of rope around the pole and uh, swings made from, you know, there's um, wooden cable drums that the kind of high level wire is wound around. Well, they kind of undid those and they turned those into uh, kind of the bases for swings. There was a homemade cargo net there that the kids could climb. There was even a suspension bridge between trees. And all of this had been made from a bit of rope and a few nails. Somebody had gotten very, very creative. So it was a wonderful discovery for me to make. Okay, I so love that. I love the creative thought behind it. Um, let me, I will give people one quick little idea and then let's get into your article, How to Have an Adventure, because I thought this was just so delightful. Um, so we, um, this, we did this last fall so that they would have them this, um, this spring. But last fall, we, we snuck over to some friend's house who we knew weren't getting out at all, and we planted a bunch of bulbs in their flower beds. And so much to their surprise and delight, they had tulips and hyacinths this spring that they would not have otherwise had. And it was so great. Try, I mean, we were, you know, like it's hard to be that quiet and dig around in somebody's front yard, right? And um, But it was so much fun, and it was so much fun to sort of um, – to to sit around and talk about it and when we would go do it and then to drive by and see if they were sprouting and then to, you know, be in conversation with them and not, not give away that it was us. But of course, you know, kids eventually gave it away, but that's good. That's good. So talk with us. I know. I thought you would like that. So let's do number one um, on this list uh, of how to have an adventure. Um, And again, this is all posted at SheratonVoise.com. Sheraton, what's number one on the list? Yeah, I mean, so you just you just described a little adventure that you did with those flower bulbs. Absolutely brilliant, and that's kind of what had happened with this family that had bit, built this hidden playground. That had gone and had an adventure. Now I got taken to the thought of uh, Swiss psychiatrist Paul Tournier. Some people might remember Paul's writings, kind of back in the seventies. He was particularly popular. Sixties, seventies, eighties. His books have kind of slipped away off the charts. But actually, if you can find an old Paul Tournier book, he was this wonderful, thoughtful Christian physician who was really thoughtful about the soul. And he wrote this book called The Adventure of Living, which is almost a theology of adventure. And he said, a theology of adventure, human beings being made in the image of an adventurous God, therefore, We long to have adventures, whether it's planting bulbs in our friends' gardens or whether it's building those uh, hidden playgrounds. He said it had four qualities then. The first one, it should be personal. So just as you came up with this idea of going and planting the bulbs uh, in the garden, it should reflect something of you because we are made in the image of God. And God makes things and does adventures that reflect his own character. All of his character is, re- is reflected in the beauty in, of the, the created order around us. Romans one twenty says that. Um, the very fact that we have an ordered universe suggests to us that God is an ordered individual. He's rational. The very fact that there is beauty and color 
that there are a variety of different plants and animals and insects all suggest that there is that kind of variety in God's character. So he says the first thing, if we're going to have an adventure, and gosh, aren't we all ready for an adventure now after the last 12, 13 months that we've had, is come up with something personal, something that reflects your own personality. All right, I have uh, one quick example of that. Um, I have a, a, a daughter-in-law who early on in COVID hand-painted postcards. I mean, each one of them is a work of art. And then she uh, sent them to all of us. I know, oh, I know, there you go. Total That's individuality gorgeous. and just surprise and delight that came through the mail. All right, Sheridan Voicey and I will be right back. We are going to cover items two, three, and four on how to have an adventure. We'll be right back. This is amazing All right, continuing my conversation with Sheridan Voicey this morning. You can read an article about what we are discussing at SheridanVoicey.com. And this one is entitled, uh, Ready for a New Adventure? Make sure it has these four things. So we have discussed the uh, number one on the list, which is it should be personal, expressing our individuality. Sheridan, what's next? Okay, number two is it should be innovative. So it should bring something fresh into the world, just like your friend who uh, went and hand-painted cards and sent them off to everybody. Number one, it was personal, just as the first point we we were talking about. But number two, it was innovative. It actually brought something fresh, something new. Um, She didn't go out and just buy the cards. She hand-painted them, sent them off to you. Uh, And this is what Tournier uh, was talking about in the sense that, you know, God's abundance, the fact that he doesn't just bring one dog into the world, but a variety of different breeds, that he doesn't bring, you know, one beetle into the world, but we've got hundreds of different forms of beetle, uh, shows that there is so, so much kind of abundance to God's personality. Um, we are made in God's image. And so we can bring forth new things. We can bring forth new inventive ideas, something that is personal, Secondly, something that is innovative. It brings some sort of solution to a problem or it simply brings something beautiful into the world because of what we do. I I genuinely appreciate that. So it should be individual and it should express your individuality. It should be innovative, bringing something fresh into the world. What's next? Number three is it should be purposeful. And this is a two-barreled thing here. So our adventures should have some sort of goal to them. And you think about it, whether it's, you know, you're going to take up stamp collecting or, um, you know, which doesn't sound very adventurous, by the way. But for those stamp collectors that are listening, they're saying it's a great adventure. I'm off going and searching the world for this one fine stamp that they only made 500 copies of, all of that. You know, it's a real adventure for those people. Um, but it should be it should have some sort of purpose behind it. I find that purposely kind of for me personally with my photography so photography is a hobby for me i, I know find that I'm which much... made, which left me stunned that there wasn't a picture of the hidden garden i mean the hidden playground <laughs> i know I was stunned. okay well there you I, go i had my i had my i had my i did actually take photos of it on my um my phone i had my phone with me but you know the quality don't, i'm a bit don't of a be too proud the... don't deep don't oh, be too, too proud to post the picture <laughs> Oh, all right, I should, go ahead. should take some video, shouldn't I? I know. Um, <laughs> but if I've got a purpose behind my photography, like if I have a claim a theme that I'm working on, maybe if I want to work on a book of photography one day, that will give me a little bit more um, kind of purpose behind what I'm doing. But but the, the double-barreled purpose of this is that it should be motivated by love. Our ultimate purpose and what our adventure is about should be love. 
Why? Because this again goes back to the very image of God that we're made in. Paul Tournier says the instinct of adventure is ultimately an instinct of love. We are mm. made in the image of God. God is love. We are then to pursue a goal, which ultimately isn't just about us or our benefit. It's for other people's benefit as well, just like you did with your flower bombing of uh, bulbs in that friend's garden, just like your friend did with her you know, hand-painted cards and sending them off to somebody. That's where the real joy, I think, of an adventure comes. Those people who created that um, little hidden playground they haven't walled it off. They haven't kind of, uh, you know, put a door on it and, you know, a lock. I can wander in there and play on it. Now, I think I'd be a bit too heavy to play on some of these uh, elements there. But, you know, we could, anybody could go in there and enjoy it. And I think that was, you know, one of the delightful aspects of that adventure that that family had had. All right. And then we get to number four on the list, which I think is also uh, essential. It should involve risk, which makes the adventure right. real. Right. If there is no risk to your adventure, if there is no real possibility of failure, is it actually an adventure? So I go out and I take my photos. I may well take out of 30 photos that I take in a day, I might only have one good one. So that's not a really good success rate, but it should be there. Uh, you may have a real God-given dream to start a new ministry venture, and it may fail. It could well fall flat on its face. And yet that is the essence of adventure. There has to be some degree of real risk. Your bulbs may not have planted properly or sprouted properly in your neighbor's garden. Um, those cards that your friend made um, may actually not have been received very well. They might have said, well, it's not particularly good artwork. Um, there should be some real risk. Otherwise, is it really an adventure in the first place? I just love it. I love this idea. I love this theme. I think it I think it um it sort of capitalizes on the spirit of I want to do things that are kind and you know sow kindness into the world and I want to be a person who sows peace. And it goes a little bit beyond that to satisfy my own desire for adventure and to do something that's a little bit risky and fun and um will surprise and delight another person. So I appreciated the way that you uh, brought Paul Tournier back uh, into our consciousness. Thank you for uh, reminding us of his good work. And thank you for your good work um, each and every day. We really appreciate your joining us, um, Sheridan. Um, just love your perspective. Love the positive uh, positive reminders that you bring us uh, and inviting us in, into the adventures for which we were made. Oh, thank you, Carmen. Um, you know, I truly believe that there is something in what we're talking about here that, that goes to the essence of, number one, God's personality, number two, our humanity. We have been made to move. We have been made to contribute. We've been made to do things that might be as small as sewing a new garment for your daughter or your son. It could be as big as starting a new enterprise that touches people all around the world. And yet we are made in the image of God who takes adventures. So here's to some brand new adventures that are motivated by love and are personal and innovative, purposeful, and uh, involve a bit of risk. Yeah, and just bring us total delight. It's just so fun. So thank you so much as always. That's Sheridan Voicey. You can find him. You can find what he's writing. And you can find what we talked about today at SheridanVoicey.com. We'll be right back.
All right, we're going to spend some time talking about Senator Tim Scott's uh, speech last week. It was a speech in response to Joe Biden's address on Wednesday night, but it's um, it's also very positive and forward-looking, and I don't want us to miss it. We're also going to talk about the new apportionments of House seats, uh, which were released last week, well, and civic education. All of that up next in my conversation with Dr. Adam Carrington. We'll be right back. Most likely, you enjoy making your own choices. We all like to be in control of things. So when did that start for you? When was the first time you thought, I'm making my own decision here? Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. I bet there's never been a time in your life when you didn't want to be in control. In fact, you probably fought for independence in your grade school and high school years. So why are we shocked when our own teens want to step out on their own? High-control parents have a way of stifling creativity and knocking the ambition right out of their kids. So how about it? Let the rope out a little. Today, give your teen a little space to make their own choices. Want more parenting help from Mark Gregston? Find encouragement through articles, books, and more at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Again, ParentingTodaysTeens.org. Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Adam, welcome back. Glad to be back. Hope you're all doing well. Yeah. So I went to a really cool Hillsdale thing last week in uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, and I learned a lot. Oh, very good. I know we've been getting to Tennessee more, so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Oh, I feel always I glad. Feel much... The more the more places we go. Yes, I feel um, as if my education continues to be lacking by comparison to uh, that that students are receiving. So there you go. It's always uh, it's always good to be reminded we have a lot of learning yet to do. Um, talk with us about Senator Tim Scott's response last week to President Biden's address on Wednesday night. I thought Senator Tim Scott did a great job. I like his tone. I like him personally. So I might be a little biased as I'm listening. Um, what did you hear? Yeah, I, I would I would basically agree with that. I the, the one thing I'd say is I know people are pushing him as a presidential uh, potential in 2024. I would say take that with a big grain of caution this far out and with one speech. That said, I think that where why people are rightly praising it is that it was about I think pitch perfect in demeanor which means that it wasn't uh, too conciliatory toward the other side, but it was also one that really uh, seemed to recognize, I think, a, 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 a very plausible future for people who are more conservative or the Republican Party. And I think his uh, emphasis on uh, balancing the defense of the Georgia um, election law with the need for police reform, his uh, emphasizing his own humble upbringing, and I think his attempt to, uh, on uh, on one hand, acknowledge that America has been deeply imperfect and needs work on issues such as race and 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 like uh, problems, but to then deny that America is fundamentally therefore needs to be written off as uh, evil or racist. I think I think that was all really good, and I think probably his best line that would almost sum up if you drew it out a great political way forward 
especially for Christians, is to say that, you know, original sin isn't the final statement. Redemption is. And that acknowledges original sin and its effects and its continuing effects, but it recognizes the potential for redemption. And I think he meant it not just, not just you know, in Christianity itself, but that in politics, there can be a, a more of a, a lesser form of that than what we experience through, through the actual gospel, but that there is a sort of image of it and how we can uh, become better versions of ourselves and how we can forgive each other in the midst of that. So I, I thought it was quite poetic, which you rarely get in these kind of speeches. I think poetic is a good, um, is a good term. Uh, listener Jane says, yes, absolutely pitch perfect. Um, I felt like when he said, you know, it's wrong to try to use our painful past to dishonestly shut down debates in the present. Um, that's a good that's a good lesson for Christians in the culture, in addition to, you know, a good lesson in terms of some of the issues that we're facing, you know, in the culture writ large. Um, I think there are often times that the things done in the past in the name of Christ, um, you know, by the institutional church, um, those are used to dishonestly shut down debates in the present as well. And so I felt like there were some lines in here that if we're paying attention and if we're listening, they speak absolutely to this cultural moment and equip us to have maybe better conversations with folks across the aisle. But I also thought that as Christians, you know, here's a Christian brother talking to us as Christians. There's some language in the speech, the redemptive language, the original sin language, that certainly Christians are going to fully understand, and others in the culture are not going to hear them quite the same way, which I think gives us an opportunity uh, to enter into conversations as well. Uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. And I think the idea that you can take a position, as he clearly did, but respect and listen to the other side, I actually think it's not merely respectful of the humanity of others and the fellow citizenship of others. I tell my students all the time, I make them in their papers write a counter argument in every mm, paper they write and say, give it the best version of it possible and say why they don't agree with it respectfully. And I tell them, I'm not trying to make you just civil. Your argument will be better. Your argument will be stronger and it will be more compelling to people on the fence who aren't just wanting to be fed talking points because they'll see that you have seriously weighed it. You've seriously um, discussed what the other side thinks and not been convinced. So I, I think that that kind of approach is actually not just under underappreciated because of partisanship. It's underappreciated because for partisans, it actually would be more effective in winning their side if they actually employed it. So the mainstream media um, spent a lot of time, actually a lot of media spent a lot of time um, talking about uh, some social media response to Senator Scott's speech. And I think a lot of people missed his walk off um, because by the time we got this far into the speech, social media was already lit with very, very negative um, personal uh, – I don't even know what I would call epithets. So um, I um, – I want to just read the end of his speech and and have a conversation with you about the word grace. The real story is always redemption. I'm standing here because my mom has prayed me through some very tough times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. So I will close with a word from a worship song that helped me through this past year. The music is new, but the words draw from Scripture. And people will recognize this um, as, um, 
you know, as a, as a blessing that comes from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. In your weeping and rejoicing, he is with you. May his favor be upon our nation for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. Good night and God bless. I got to tell you, that's a strong walk off. Uh, I think it is. And, and I think something that politics really struggles with, and I mean this across all times and places, is grace. Because even the best politics is so focused often on justice and order. And justice and order are so tied to merit. But if we really take the gospel seriously, if we really take the description of humanity in the Bible seriously, then justice and order to some degree are they're, they're absolutely necessary, but they're not enough. Because how do you bind back together what has been broken by sin and not entirely splinter us into into uh, sinful autonomous individuals and i think that some concept of grace i would add mercy and some ability to to um uh, repair what has been broken uh even in politics uh, i know that that blessing is directed at the church but even in politics is necessary and a hard conversation that I think him introducing it, I, I, I hope people keep talking about it because it's needed uh, in, in for a fallen humanity to actually live in community together. And we're very woefully short of that in, in our own discussions. We use sin, either imagined or real, as a way of bludgeoning the other, condemning the other, ostracizing the other, as opposed to uh, a, a, a way to... to bind together anew uh, in the way that I think he he at least points the possibility of. All right, we have a listener um, suggesting that we all be praying for Senator Tim Scott as well. Yes, absolutely, 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 totally concur with that. All right, Adam, let's, um, let's pivot topics here. Um, there are new apportionments of House seats in Congress. Um, those were released last week. Tell us what's going on. Yeah, so so by the Constitution, there has to be a census every once every 10 years, and I'm sure everyone heard a lot about that. Uh, states were really pushing to get you to, to, to fill out your, your forms for it. Then, and one of the, among the many things that are done, the main constitutional one is the number of U.S. House seats get reapportioned based on the population of each state in relation to each other. And so the 435 seats, and that also means the number of electoral votes given by each state for the presidency gets reapportioned because that's based on the number of House and Senate members in each state. And so what, what, what this often will, will show us for, for politics, it shows us in general where are people moving, where are people not moving. Uh, it also shows for, for politics some questions of um, you know, wh where, what parts of the country have more or less political power and why. So you see the, uh, uh, the Midwest is continuing to lose electoral votes, Ohio, Michigan, uh, and, and, and other states like that are, are continuing to lose states in, in like Texas and Florida continue to gain, although not as quickly as before California for the first time. And since it came into the United States has, is losing a congressional seat. And where I think this will play out interestingly in politics 
is um, every state's going to have to redraw their congressional districts. And each state is going to have to think anew about how it pursues politically. And with our our different um, coalitions um, in such a state of flux uh, with people that used to vote Democrat now voting Republican and vice versa, it's going to be really interesting where both parties see their future demographically. Are is is uh, is the Democratic Party where they can control it and draw districts it, where they're getting a lot of suburban voters since they used to be a little more Republican now they're more Democrat. Are Republicans going to double down on rural voters? Uh, where does each side think uh, um, Latino, Hispanic, and African American communities are going? And a lot of that's also going to say who is each party more willing to engage with and welcome into their coalition going forward. And I think that could be where what seems at first a dry case of numbers could be really interesting because a lot of that fallout from that is going to say where both parties see the country going and where they want it to go uh, in, in the, over the next 10 years. Okay, without a vision, uh, people don't just perish, they just wander around. So vision casting is a part of all of this. It's why we have these conversations. Um, we want, as Christians, to have our vision of the future aligned with um, with God and His uh, not only His goodness and His glory, but also, um, you know, the reason that He made people, right? So there's a, um, there's a conversation to be had here about not only the purpose of um, of our own lives, but the purpose of our living together in community with one another as a civil society. All right, Dr. Adam Carrington and I will be right back in just a moment. We're going to talk a little bit about civic education. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. So in uh, in South Lake. Texas, the school board um, proposed a comprehensive critical race theory approach to education, and the people said um, no. So they organized themselves to run a candidate for mayor, for two city council positions, and for two members of the school board, all of whom were elected uh, in an overwhelming vote. Thousands more people participated um, in in this election in South Lake, uh, Texas, than have ever participated in a local election before, and the um, the people who are not interested in having children educated through critical race theory in South Lake's public schools um, won every single race by like seventy percent to thirty percent vote um, margins. So when we talk about civic education, part of what we're also talking about is civic engagement. And so, Adam, um, maybe let's lift up both of these conversations. This is a conversation that's going to be had in communities across the country, not just South Lake, Texas. What is going on in terms of how we're educating people about um, America's history and what is that doing to civic education across the country? And and really, that builds off very well from what you said at the end of the last segment, because if we're going to have a common community, then we have to ask who we are to ask where we are now and where we're going to go. And that's why education really education. I, I get on this horse a lot when I'm talking with parents and students. Uh, education fundamentally is not just about getting a job. 
education is about cultivating the souls and minds of human beings in a particular time and place. And therefore, civic education is as important as anything else. Uh, it's important to, to cultivating uh, a just and fair understanding of, 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 of who we are and who we should be, going back to what I said. So that's why I think this discussion it raises such massive concerns. And so there's pr differing pressures based on differing approaches to education. And I think uh, one is, and I think the biggest is going to be, are we going to have education that is um, going to indoctrinate, basically push a certain view without uh, uh, and, and just want to make people believe something? Or are we going to push something that's actually going to be in line with, I think, who we are as a country, which is um, education that is fair, that requires people to think, which requires people to weigh differing evidence, but also one that, that while not indoctrinating, is very, uh, is very open to patriotism and to the good that this country has done and been. Uh, and I think that that there's now competing curriculi or curriculums, however you say it. Sorry to the people who know how to say that uh, uh, out there that that I think this that give a concrete way of having this discussion. So one's based around critical race theory or the 1619 project. There's other curriculum that tries to that, that is a little more amenable to uh, 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 the the American founding and being more pro to it. And then again, there's different approaches. Is there ones that are more based in reading what people in the past have said and weighing the evidence there? And I think this all again goes back to uh, trying to get at how do we form citizens that are going to be vigilant for the common good, love their neighbor and see the best in the country they have without denying what's there that's that's problematic. And how we educate children and how we even educate adults is going to be central to that. So it's not a small thing and it's not a localized thing, as you said. I would, uh, you know, I would invite people to consider what attaching an additional two years um, in very early education means if you don't like what's happening in public education now, why would you like it better if it started when our children were three? Um, and the conversations that we have to be having um, as a people who are concerned not only about the welfare of the nation, you know, during our lifetime, but the welfare of those who are coming generationally after us. We do have a stewardship responsibility in terms of what we're sowing um, into the culture right now because it's going to produce a harvest in the next generation and the generation beyond that. So, um, Adam, when you think about what's being cultivated in the culture in terms of um, how we're educated, we're not just talking about school. When we talk about education, we're talking about all of the information that we take in and process and either regurgitate or filter out. Yes. And, and here's where you, you said or at the beginning, you went to a Hillsdale thing and you 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 you, you almost said negatively, I have so much more to learn. No, I, I, every all teachers are really students a little further down the road, maybe than the people, the, the people they're talking to. Uh, the, the citizenship and education are lifetime commitments. They're lifelong commitments. And that means that even when you're out of formal education, you should you hopefully have the tools to continue to learn. And by part of learning is discerning who you should learn from. 
and how you should learn and being able to say, um, here, here are sources of information that are generally fair, or here are competing sources of information that if I weigh them both, I, I have a better chance of knowing what's the case. And also all having, you know, for Christians, uh, the, the, the Bible in the background, what, what um, sources of information, what perspectives on America or the world are most in line with how the Bible describes justice, human nature, our obligations to God and others. And, you know, that's especially hard in these days when we are we just have information overload. So many things being thrown at us, such a temptation to hide in a particular narrow sphere where we just get sort of uh, uh, supported in what we think. And I, I would I would say um, build build yourself, your children, your grandchildren up in the truth as as the Bible teaches it, as the book of nature that God has created teaches it so that you can engage with the broader world even when you don't agree with it. But that's a lifelong thing. And you're, you're absolutely right. This is not just get it as a, as a teenager and you're done. There, there, this is a lifetime commitment because living together and living under God is a lifetime commitment. I would actually say the latter is a eternity commitment. Yeah, I think the word discipleship, you know, springs to mind um, for Christians. And uh, I think that, you know, not only what we're studying, but whose voice we're studying it alongside. You know, you make that point in terms of, you know, like, who are the teachers that I am sitting under now? We make that choice in terms of um, in terms of preaching at church. We make that choice in terms of who we listen to as purveyors of the news. Um, And we certainly um, ought to be having serious consideration, uh, evaluating our teachers. You know, Scripture has a lot to say about that. There are those who teach the truth, and there are others who teach falsehoods. And let us not be the people who have itching ears, as Scripture de- uh, describes, you know, just satisfying—seeking uh, teachers who just satisfy our own sinful desires. Like, I think that's the challenge that we face. Yes, and and you're right that all, all the way back into the early the New Testament, uh, the epistles warn not to look for just someone who's going to tell you what you want to think, and that's a hard thing to learn in church. That's a hard thing to learn in society. But I think the 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 future of our of our country and the future of the church. I mean, that's a little out of my purview as 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 a scholar, but is all dependent on on that and it's 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 an assumption that um human beings created in the image of god are capable of making those kind of discernments and and need to be vigilant in doing so and i think um uh, you know conversations like that happen on this on this program are are one example of how that can be carried out in a good way just to to give you a compliment oh, well thank you we're trying to think in public and we're trying to do so cultivating the mind of Christ on the matters of the day. We appreciate your contribution to the conversation. That's Dr. Adam Carrington from Hillsdale College. Um, Adam, thank you so much. Thank you all. All right. We, um, I ran over our last break, so we're completely out of time in this hour, but we got another hour up next. Stay tuned for more with me, Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. All right. Um, 
wow, I can't believe the first hour of Monday morning is already is already done. Um, I I love doing radio, and Paul and I were just noting that you know had I not uh, responded in a hinge moment in 2015 to an invitation to sit down at a radio microphone, having never done so um, with no background in any of this. Um, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing today, and we both love what we're doing today. So, oh, yeah. thank you for, <laughs> all right. So, thank you for um, for joining us in this. It literally, we we couldn't do it without you. So, thank you to each and every one of you who make this possible. Thank you for those of you who are an ongoing part of our support system here at the Faith Radio Network. Thank you for those of you that are radio missionaries and share this programming with others via the Faith Radio app or online at myfaithradio.com or just through you know, serving as um, ambassadors of this ministry. You know, If you are passing along to others what you receive here, you are an ambassador of this, of this ministry, and we really appreciate it. Um, what are your hinge moments? Maybe you're in one right now. This would be a good opportunity to reflect and, um, and, and learn and learn from somebody who's passed through some significant hinge moments and has a lot to share about it. So we're still taking your texts. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for a copy of Hinge Moments by Dr. Michael Lindsay, making the most of life's transitions. We got another hour of Mornings with Carmen up next. Dr. Linda Mental will be back. It feels like um, it feels like a long time since we've talked with her. We will also be diving into Romans chapter 14 and 15 in the opening segment. So stay with us or, you know, get somebody on the phone and say, hey, now's a really good time for you to tune in. If you missed the first hour, it's not too late to jump in on the second hour. It could be a shared experience that then you discuss with them later in the day. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.